You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Transformers, Part 7. Enjoy. We're, we're ready to be changed by Him. So we, we fully expect that um, when we leave here, we're going to be different than when we came in. Because God loves us that much. Isn't that amazing? He loves us so much that He's always for us, right? His Spirit is always moving on our behalf. That's amazing. You know, and as I was, I was kind of, my brain was tilting this morning as I was trying to think of, you know, live stream and codes and, and networks and audio and gain and gates and uh, compressors and all this stuff. And I just, I kind of, but God can do it all. Isn't that great? <laughs> and he never tilts, you know. His capacity has no limit. Isn't that great? He's limitless and he's living inside of us. So let's do it this morning. Let's get ready to receive from him. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Lord, it is precious that we can come together publicly. We can leave our homes. We can gather as your family, and we can worship you and receive the strength that you long to give us, receive the wisdom and the direction for our lives. We're so grateful to be here this morning, and we've, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and all that you're about to do right now. We love you, Father. We receive all that you have for us this morning, and we give you a full right of way, Holy Spirit, to do what you want to do in our hearts, in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Are you ready to receive from him? I, we all have needs, right? And do you, you think God might know what those are? Sure he does. Isn't that great? He knows them even when we don't know them. And he's already met them in Christ. All we have to do is, hook, is realize that, right? That he's met every need of ours, not only sufficiently, but more than enough, right? According to his resources, according to his riches in Christ. Amen. Let's get into our series, Transformers. And boy, I'm so excited about what God's doing. He's helping us to see him more clearly. And, you know, we're learning about live streaming in this camera we got and learning about different lighting settings and, and how to uh, focus on the highlights of a shot. And, you know, it's impossible to take a picture in complete darkness. Can't be done. You have to have some light to have a photograph, to have an image. Well, before Jesus came, the world was really dark. People had very little light on who God is. But when Jesus came, he illuminated the character, nature, and will of God to us. He enabled, he's the light. Yeah, he's the light of the world. So when we zero in on Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, right, we get a very clear picture of who God is. So if you're confused as to who God is and his will for your life, zero in on Jesus, and that image will become very clear. And that's what we're doing in our Transformer series. We want darkness uh, to, to be chased out of our lives through the simple faith in the light of Christ, right? We have nothing to be afraid of and nothing to worry about because Jesus is all in right? He's for you 100%. So we're being transformed in this series, just like Optimus Prime, right? We're being transformed by the goodness of God. Yeah, Transformers, more than meets the eye. Mike, do you know the Transformers back in the 80s? I don't know. Is that too old, is that too old school for you? But when I, was, when I was back in the day in the 80s, the Transformers came out. Now they've kind of had a resurgence. But it's a, it's a, a fun story 
But there's a better story that's real, and it's a story of us walking with God and him transforming us more so into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So what we're doing in this series is we're looking at wrong beliefs, wrong ideas about God. We're removing those from our minds and hearts, and we're replacing them with the real Jesus because wrong beliefs can block the good things that God wants to do in your life. They can keep that, that image unclear of him. They can hinder our faith, okay? And we don't want that to happen. And we're, we know this, and this is so important, to know that our beliefs don't determine who God is, right? Our beliefs don't change God. He is who he is. He doesn't change. He's perfect, right? So our beliefs don't change him. Our beliefs uh, don't determine who he is. But our beliefs do determine how much of him we experience. Our beliefs can either limit him in our lives or open the door for him. So we want the door to be wide open, right? God, flow. Have your way in our lives because he's all good. And there's nothing bad about him. No evil dwells with him. So Jesus taught us that. We've been looking the last uh, couple messages at the number of places that, and there are so many more, we just didn't have time to go through them all, that Jesus taught us that what we believe determines how much of God we experience. That's pretty amazing. What we believe determines how much of God we experience. And that to think that our beliefs can limit him. Now, when we say limit God, some people say, oh, you can't limit God. He's all-powerful. Well, as far as he's concerned, he is. But as far as how much I experience him, so we're not limiting his power. He's all-powerful. He is limitless, and no one can change that. But in my life, I can limit what he can do. And we saw that in the scriptures last week as well. And please go to our website, highwaychurch.us. It's all free. Listen to the messages repeatedly with the scriptures. Go through each scripture. Write the references down. And then take time and just meditate on those scriptures. You'll be so glad you did. It will help you tremendously. And in, in line with that, the new one-a-day plans are back there. For It's the last section up through week 52, which will take us to January of next year, okay? So if you need another copy of the one-a-day, they're back there at the counter. I think, what are we on now? Philemon, maybe? Somewhere in there. But um, So you can pick those up at the counter. Take them with you. We go through one chapter of the New Testament Monday through Friday. It's really simple. Okay, and we started that on our, our anniversary this year, February 2nd, and by the end of one year, you've been through the whole New Testament, okay? So we're almost, we're close to the end now, but it's just one chapter a day, so grab those back there on your way out, and awesome, there it is, yeah, right there. So it's just one chapter a day, five days a week, so it's easy to get caught up if you get behind, you know, especially when you get towards the, uh, the epistles, you know, the chapters get really short, so, right? Yeah, Hebrews, very good. Awesome. So God is good. So we've been looking at different examples of wrong beliefs. Uh, we started with self-atonement, right? We know that religion teaches you to try and atone for your sins, but you can't do that, right? Jesus did that for us. It took a perfect sacrifice, and he was it, okay? So Jesus atoned for your sins. Our role is to receive what he did for us by faith, okay? And the second thing we looked at was what real baptism is. Real baptism is simple faith in Christ. When I put my faith in Christ, I am made new. I am joined with him. I am now become his very own, okay? And then we started tackling this big giant 
that's such a widespread belief, even though it is wrong, and it's this idea of fate, F-A-T-E, or the Christian name for it uh, has been wrongly called God's sovereignty. And that's what we've been looking at. It's a big one. And boy, it just takes time to dismantle this thing because some people have been uh, believing this for their whole lives. And some have been taught this at their churches. And it's this idea that everything that happens is God's will. You know, that everything that goes, that God's controlling everything in the earth. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Jesus didn't teach that. But a lot of churches teach that, and it's unfortunate because, boy, it blocks what God wants to do in people's lives. It, it, it limits what he desires to do in our lives, and we don't want to do that. So we looked at the actual definition, God's sovereignty. The word sovereignty literally means above all. Very simple. And it is very true. God is sovereign. He is above all, right? We don't dispute that for one moment. He's, he's the king of kings. He's the Alpha and the Omega. But what God's sovereignty does not mean is that he's controlling everything on earth, okay? God's sovereignty does not mean that. It does not mean that everything that happens is his will, all right? I hear people say everything happens for a reason, and I understand uh, what they're really saying is that somehow God's behind everything. They couldn't be more wrong, okay? Couldn't be more wrong. There are things that happen in the earth because we're living in a fallen world. The, the world's under the curse of sin. There are things that happen because Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy from people. So it might be a reason, but it's not God's reason, okay? If, if God were in control of everything, it, it would be a perfect world, right? When he created it, there, there were no, no murders, no crime, no, no uh, storms, no sickness, no disease, all right? That all happened after the fall when the curse of sin came into the earth. We're going to get into that some more in a little bit. So God's sovereignty, we found, doesn't have to be a mystery to us because Jesus revealed God's sovereignty to us. Isn't that great? He is the sovereign God in the flesh, right? He, he can't be any more God than Jesus, okay? So when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, we're looking at God's sovereignty. Isn't that great? So our image doesn't have to be clear. God doesn't, uh, doesn't have to be blurry. God wants it to be clear, okay? He doesn't want to be a mystery to you. He wants you to know him. Isn't that great? He doesn't want to feel far away. He wants to live inside of you. How close is that, right? So this is the God we serve. Let's read our, one of our foundational texts, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Speaking of Jesus, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. Verse 2, in these last days. So verse 1 is talking about what? The Old Testament, right? In the, in, in, in the days of our fathers long ago. Verse 2 is talking about the New Testament. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, verse 3, and he, that's Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. I love it. Isn't it a bummer when, when you have a really, you want to take a, a, capture a moment in your life with a camera and you take it and you look at it later and it's blurry? Yeah. 
This is like, oh, man, it's a great shot, right? But we don't want that to happen in life with, with God. When we're going through life, we need a clear image of who he is because a blurry one will trip you up. Okay, we need to be clear on his will for our lives, clear on who he is, so we, we stare at Jesus, okay, until that image becomes really clear. I had to do that in my life, and I've shared with you before that I really wanted to, this was back in the probably, uh, well, let's see, maybe 96, 97, somewhere in there. I, I just really wanted to understand God better. So I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John straight through in 10 days. And then after those 10 days were over, I did it again for 10 more days. And then I did it again for 10 more, just Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, three times in a row, 30 days in the Amplified Translation. It absolutely changed me. So I did it again because it was so good. And I'm so glad. It is a wonderful exercise. I want to encourage you to think about it. It was really fun, but it really helped me to see God more clearly. So we're focusing on Jesus. Do you know no one else in the Bible compares with Jesus? Put the message translation of verse 3 up there real quick. Love that. It says, Jesus perfectly mirrors God. I love that. There's not a blemish on him, right? There's not a smudge on Jesus. He's perfectly reflecting the nature of God. He's stamped with God's nature. Isn't that wonderful? So in the Bible, no one else compares to Jesus. No one. In the Bible, out of all the people in the Bible, and there are lots, no one compares to Jesus. So we don't base our beliefs on Noah. We don't base our beliefs on Moses. We don't base our beliefs on David. We don't base our beliefs on James or Peter or John. We don't base our beliefs on Paul or Timothy. We base all of our beliefs on Jesus. Isn't that great? We exalt him in our hearts and minds above everyone else. If he said it, that's all I need to know, right? That's all I need to know. So our beliefs are based on the person of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. All right? So let's go to God's sovereignty, and let's listen to his voice. All right? Let's listen to God's sovereignty in action. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. This is the sovereign God speaking now. And listen how simple he makes it. I'm so glad. I need it to be simple in my life. All right? Remember, the devil wants to make it complicated. Because when things are complicated, he can, he can hide behind things. And he can distract you and lead you in different directions. But when things are simple, when things are uncluttered, uncluttered and clear, you can, you can reach your destination, right? You don't trip over anything. So here's God, the sovereign God, and he's revealing his nature. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus is talking. He says, what man is there of you? whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone. Anybody would do that? Of course not, right? Couldn't be more, more understandable than what he's saying. We all get that, right? Very simple. Or if he asks a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Even Mariah, who doesn't like fish, we still wouldn't give her a serpent, right? We'd, we'd give her maybe a burger or something, right? So, fish. No, we'd probably make her eat her fish, right? Yeah, she has to eat her fish no matter what. 
We had salmon. Did you eat your salmon, by the way? Yeah, she gave it to our dog, I think. So if you ask a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Now, here it is. I love how simple this is. So don't complicate things, right? Keep it simple. So if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? So is God as good as us, less good than us, or more good than us? Much more, much more, right? He's better, right? He's much better, right? How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give good things to them that ask them? There is a perfect image of God's sovereignty right there. He's good. He will never do anything bad to you, ever. Ever. No one can make him. You can't even make him. You can stick your tongue out at him. He still won't change. Right? He'll never. He's good all the time. Isn't that wonderful? So how much more? We can all get this, right? I mean, a child, I don't even have to have kids. I just see a kid and I want to bless them. Right? There's something about kids you just want to do something for them because they're precious, Right? Well, and and we're fallen, we've fallen short of the glory of God. How much more, God? How much more does God want to give to you? A whole lot more, right? So we don't want to forget all the verses we looked at last week and the week before and the verses we're reading now when we read the rest of the Bible, okay? Jesus is revealing to us the goodness of God. In fact, James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from the Father. Wow. Isn't that good? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Is sickness good? No. Never. Sickness is evil. It is contrary to all, everything that God is. It's never from him. He's never for it. He never uses it to teach anybody anything. Yet that has been taught in so many churches. What father would make their child sick? Isn't that basically what Jesus is saying? Am I stretching things? Right? We just read it. What, if a father wouldn't do that, why would you think God the Father, who's much more, would do that? So in interpreting the Bible, because we're going to start looking at some scriptures here, ask yourself this simple question. Would a good father do that? It's a great Bible study question. Because there are a lot of verses in the Bible that have been taken out of context and misunderstood to, and, and people take them to say that God causes bad things to happen or, or he allows them to happen. But you got to ask yourself a question. Would a good father do that? No. All right? So we're, we're, let's look at a couple more scriptures before we... we oh, boy, we got something good coming up here. Let's look at John 10.10. 10. This is one of my faves, as you know. Again, a clear image of the sovereignty of God right here. Right? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Are those things good or bad? Nothing good about stealing, right? Nothing good about killing and destroying. Those are evil things. So we know that those things never come from our Father. How do we know that? We look to Jesus. We don't have to create any doctrines. He is our doctrine, right? We just look at Him and believe what He says and we believe what He did. Okay, so we know he's creating a contrast here between the sovereign God 
and, and those who aren't from God, right? Satan, demons, uh, wrong, uh, wrong uh, teaching, right? Wrong teaching will steal and kill and destroy you. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So here's a gross contrast between the sovereign God and anything that's not from him, right? Okay, let's look at one more scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for who? For you, right? He didn't do it for himself. He's all set, right? He did it for you. He gave everything he could give. He gave his son for you. Well, if he did that, how could we ever think that he would make us sick or that he would allow us to be sick? Hang with me. We're going to answer some questions here. But deliver him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely, no strings attached, that's love, freely give us all things. Amen. All right, there's just three scriptures. There's many more. Uh, but you, again, you, you meditate on these, go through the scriptures we went through in the last two Sundays, and, and let's move into Psalm 4. Let's do a couple more. Psalm 5, 4, talking about the sovereignty of God. It says, you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No, 0% evil dwells with you. Isn't that good to know? God never has a bad day. Thank you, Lord. Right? He's, he never gets up on the wrong side of the bed because he never goes to bed. Right? He never gets tired. Isn't that great? Wow. He probably has a guest bedroom, but he, he never uses that, right? Because he doesn't need to sleep. No evil dwells. You look at Psalm 92, 6, 15. They will declare, the Lord is just. Amen. Would a just father give a child a serpent instead of bread? Of course not. Why would we ever believe such foolish things? They will declare the Lord is just. He's my rock. There is 0% evil in him. Sickness is evil. It's something we should loathe and hate. Not people, sickness, right? The scriptures teach us to loathe and hate evil, not people. Sickness is evil. It's an enemy to you. It's a thief, and it wants to steal from you. All right? Okay. Very good. Here we go. Some people don't realize what they're doing when they believe or teach wrong things about God. They don't realize the doors they could be opening up to darkness. God has no partnership with Satan. He has no contract with him. He never worked out a deal with him. In fact, Satan is, is all bad. God is all good, Satan's all bad, okay? Very simple. And since, now Satan wasn't always Satan, he was formerly Lucifer, right? We don't know for how long. But since he rebelled and was cast down to the earth and became Satan, right? There, there has been no cooperation whatsoever between him and God. 
All right? Very important to understand that. Now, let's look at this a little closely. This will help us understand the Bible. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 21 and following. Satan and God do not work to God together. God never uses Satan to accomplish his will because God's will is good. Satan is evil. I know there might be some questions flying through your mind right now, but what about this and what about that? Hang on. We really have to dismantle this wrong thinking. And it takes time. Some people have been believing this way for 20, 30 years or more. We want the Word of God to dismantle those strongholds. P, just take them apart, okay? Here's the sovereign God uh, speaking. It says, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust, those who, who are not of the nation of Israel, right? Verse 22, then was brought unto Jesus one possessed with a devil. Are devils good or bad? Bad, right? Blind and dumb, is that good or bad? Bad, right? That's what the devil wants for people, sickness, right? And Jesus healed him. Why did he heal him? Because that's his will, right? He's good. Is healing good? Yes. Sickness is bad. Healing is good. Good. It gets simple, doesn't it? Insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Is that good or bad? It's good, right? And all the people were amazed and said, stay on this verse for a second, is not this the son of David? That's a messianic term. I want you to take note of the contrast here between this and the next verse. The people, not the religious leaders, the people were recognizing that he was the Messiah. But the experts in the scriptures came to a different conclusion. Those who devoted their life to studying the scriptures came to a different conclusion. You can read the Bible your whole life and not know Jesus. You can read the Bible your whole life and have a very distorted image of God. Because we don't worship a book. We worship a living God. People get funny about the Bible. I love the Bible. It's changed my life. It's the Word of God. But it's a written representation. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is not God's will. There's crazy stuff in the Bible. It's there so we can learn from it. There are a lot of statements in the Bible by a lot of different people that aren't in line with God's will. It's the Word of God. It's there for us to learn from. But He's alive. He's not pen and ink. He's a living, breathing God. So we know we worship the person of God, and we learn of him through his word. Okay? So we're not putting down the Bible. We just want to rightly divide it. We want to understand it properly. All right? So now the religious, the, the Bible study people, in the, in the next verse, verse 24, but when the Pharisees, the religious experts, right, the doctors of the law, heard it, they said, this fellow, they call him, imagine that, hey fella, this fella, he doesn't cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, he's Lord of the flies, he's Satan, right? So they're saying this guy's from Satan. Really, I'm not stretching that, right? You catching what they're saying? Yeah, this fella, this bub, is from Beelzebub, right? So the religious experts are as wrong as wrong could be. And that's quite often the case, unfortunately, still today. 
But the people are getting it. He's a son of David. He's not Bub, right? So, verse 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said unto them, now listen, he doesn't go off on them. He explains to them something that would set them free if they'd receive it. You don't have to go off on anybody. It doesn't help them. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. What are you talking about, Jesus? Let's see. And if Satan cast out Satan, which is what they're saying he's doing, right? He is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? So Satan has a kingdom, doesn't he? We're going to learn about that in just a little bit. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Here we go, verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. He's the king, isn't he? Right? Is God's kingdom divided? Never. Not at all. Right? God was doing what Jesus was doing, what he was doing by the Spirit of God. Healing is of God. Deliverances of God. Religious people have a hard time with that sometimes. And I've heard it today. They'll call ministers ministering healing. They'll say they're from the devil. Be careful. Watch out for them. Say, really? Wow. People doing the things that Jesus did, they'll put up there, you know, don't go near that person. Don't listen to that. Why? What is it that they're teaching that's contrary to the ministry of Christ? It's good to know that, right? We, wanna, we don't want to do this with things. We're, we're fearless people. We don't walk around like this with garlic around our neck, right? We're not religious people. We're fearless sons and daughters of God. We have Christ inside of us. Nothing in this world is greater than the one who lives inside of us. So we know him, and we have wisdom and understanding, so we don't say, oh, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen, it's bad. Someone told me that's bad, I can't hear that. No, we can rightly divide what we hear because we know the word. So I don't have to turn off something that someone told me bad. I can listen and say, does this line up with the person in ministry of Christ? Are you willing to do that? I've had to listen to people over the years that, that I was told you should never listen to. But when I listened to what they're saying and I lined it up with the ministry of Jesus, I, thought, I found most of the time they were spot on. Amazing. So we discern what we're listening to through the person of Christ, Right? So what Jesus rebuked in his ministry reveals to us what's not from God. Do you catch that? It's really simple. It's, it's a good, simple uh, life principle. What Jesus rebuked in his ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts reveals to us what is not from God. So what did Jesus rebuke in his ministry? I won't say the first one, Pharisees, right? Religiously, <laughs> religious leaders. <laughs> he rebuked sickness. We know that, right? He rebuked sickness and disease. He rebuked devils. We know those are never from God, right? If those are from God, Jesus was rebuking his father, wasn't he? And guess what? God's kingdom would be seriously divided and it could not stand. Do you see that simple logic? We're not stretching anything. 
We're not trying to create a new doctrine. We're just reading what he said and applying it to our thinking in life, okay? So uh, he rebukes storms. You know that? Have you, have, you, have you read through his ministry, right? He was on earth. Boy, how Satan hated that. He was on earth and he was training men and women to walk with him. And they're traveling to proclaim the good news on a ship. And Satan comes at him with a storm trying to drown him. Right? And what does he do? The disciples wake him up. And what does he say? What does he do? He rebukes the storm. Right? Why? Because that storm was not from his father. God doesn't cause storms. I know people get mad at me for saying that, but he doesn't. (laughs) God's not controlling the weather. He's not. When God created the earth before the fall, there were no storms. It didn't even rain. There were no hurricanes, no tornadoes, no earthquakes. When when water was needed, a mist would rise from the ground. That's in Genesis. You can read it. Isn't that wonderful, huh? I mean, I just want to walk through that, you know. Woo! You know? A mist would just rise from the ground. It was paradise. That was God's will. It was after the fall when Satan stole the sovereignty that God gave to Adam and the curse of sin came upon the earth that everything went wacky, right? So God is not causing storms. Jesus knew that because his image of the Father was clear, right? And when your image of the Father is clear, you can respond quickly in a situation and appropriately. You know what to rebuke in your life, right? What to take authority over. If your image is not clear, you're going to be standing there wondering, well, maybe this is from God. Maybe he's trying to teach me. Maybe he's trying to humble me, right? And you become very confused, and you let the Satan beat you up, okay? Now, last verse in Matthew 12, verse 29. Look at this. Oh, this is, wow, this is so powerful here. Jesus is talking. This is the verse right after 28, right? He's still talking about the same thing, a kingdom not divided. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house? He's saying if the kingdom's divided, he couldn't do that, right? How else can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his house. Who's the strong man here that Jesus is talking about? Satan, not Jesus. Very important to understand that. Who's the one that entered the strong man's house? Jesus. We're going to see that. Very important to understand that. Okay? So earth became Satan's house when Adam fell. And Jesus entered that house to bind him. And spoil his goods. So keep this in context now. What is he talking about? He just healed somebody. Who bound that person? Satan. Jesus entered the strong man's house and defeated him and set that person free. All right? The earth became Satan's house when Adam fell. Romans 5.17, the Weymouth translation. Listen to this now. For if through the transgression of the one individual, who's that? Adam. Death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty. Sovereignty? What sovereignty? 
The sovereignty that God gave to the one individual. Who's that one individual? God gave Adam sovereignty over the earth. It's just the Bible. I know this hasn't been taught near enough. But he did. He gave him dominion over everything on the earth. And that included the devil. Do you know if the devil, when he came to Adam and Eve, if Adam would have just said, shut your mouth and get out of this earth, he would have had to go? Wow, would that have been nice, huh? He could have, ta- he could have taken authority over him and rebuked him instead of listening to him. Oh, he's got a good point there. Oh, maybe he is. Yeah. Right? We don't give the devil any airtime. He has nothing to say to us that we're interested in. Right? He opens his mouth, we shut it. We tell him to go where he belongs. Right? We never listen to him, ever. We don't give him any attention. The only thing we give him is, is a rebuke in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So Satan stole the sovereignty that Adam had and was given by God. And you know what Jesus called Satan? The ruler of this world. John 12, 31. I mean, this is risky business what we're talking about right now. I, I would be in jail in Religiousville. This is, this is the sovereign God talking. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the what? The ruler of this world. Who's he talking about? Satan, the real Beelzebub, right? Yeah, the ruler of this world. Look at John 14, 30. He says, I will not speak with you much longer for the who? The prince of this world. He said earlier they had a kingdom, didn't he? He stole it from Adam, right? The ruler of this world, the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold on me. Wow, is this a different way of thinking, right? That Satan's the god of the world. That's why the garbage is going on in this world that's going on, because Satan's the god of it. That's where the storms come from. That's where sickness is. He's behind it all. All right? 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4, Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, and if our good news is veiled, if our good news is made blurry, right? If it's veiled to those who are perishing, verse 4, in whose case the God of this world. That's three direct references to Satan as the prince, the ruler, and the God of this world. Why would we debate that? We're not giving Satan any glory. We're just recognizing what happened in the spirit realm, all right? We're not exalting him. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This, because Satan is the God of this world, we have to declare a different God's authority over our lives to be free. Have you ever noticed what what saves us is declaring Jesus as Lord. Lord? Why Lord? Why not beautiful Savior? Because we need to be under a different authority. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, this is vital, there's no other way. You have to open your mouth and declare his authority over your life. No one can do it for you. 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that is a term of authority, right? If you confess Jesus as the authority over your life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What am I doing? I'm declaring now that I am under a new system. I'm under a new authority. I'm now under the authority of Christ. I say it regularly. Jesus is Lord of my life. He's Lord of my thinking. He's Lord of my brain. He's Lord of my heart. He's Lord of my lungs. He's Lord of my body. He's Lord of my marriage. He's Lord of my family. He's Lord of my home. He's Lord of my property. What am I doing? I'm declaring whose authority we're living under. And it transfers us out from underneath the authority of the God of this world and transplants us underneath the authority of the perfect Father who's much more than you've ever dreamed of. All right? Colossians chapter 1 says that very thing. For he delivered us from the domain. That's a term of authority. Satan has a domain. He stole it, but he has it. From the domain of darkness, Jesus rescued us from us. And he transferred us to the kingdom, term of authority, right? Of his beloved son. So Jesus taught us to enforce his authority in our lives. Most believers don't do that. Most believers accept whatever happens to them. And then they look to God and say, why? Although he clearly explained it in his word, they haven't been taught it properly. All right? Your, your, your eyes are being opened right now, aren't they? This, we can see things clearly now. Right? So Jesus taught us to enforce God's authority over our lives, to speak his authority over our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this is what he said. He's, he's teaching his disciples the manner, not, not a, a literal thing they have to recite 20 times a day. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's teaching them the manner, the way to, to fellowship and think of and know God. In this manner, therefore, talk to you. First of all, know he's your father. Come to God as your father. That's first. Not as a stranger, not as an idol, not as someone who's distant and doesn't know you, but as the one who gave you birth, the one who begot you, the one who made you. Come to him as your father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Now look at this next verse. Your kingdom, there's authority again. Boy, there's so much about authority in the scriptures. Your kingdom, your authority come where? Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Why did Jesus instruct us to pray for God's will to be done on earth? Because it's not automatically done. There'd be no need for him to tell us to do that, right? If it automatically happens, we can just do whatever, right? There's no need for faith. There's no need for discernment. There's no need to study the Bible. Let's just do whatever, right? It's not how God set it up. It's, we have freedom to believe and to choose and to speak what we want to speak, right? Hallelujah. So Jesus taught us to do that. He taught us to pray for God's will to be done on the earth. So putting all this together, I come to this conclusion. I've got to rebuke what Jesus rebuked in my life. 
He set the example. What he rebuked, I should be rebuking. So he rebuked devils, I should rebuke devils. He rebuked sickness, I should rebuke sickness. He rebuked storms, I rebuke storms. I've done it more times than I can count. Rebuked hurricanes, thunderstorms, and, and, and saw things change. Right? We do what he did. So we take our cues from Jesus. Right? If I don't rebuke what Jesus rebuked in my life, if I don't do that, I'm going to miss out on God's will for my life. If I don't rebuke what Jesus rebuked, if I stand there and take it, if I stand there and, and let it happen, I'm going to miss out on God's will for my life. And, and the more clear this becomes to you, the more uh, consistently you'll respond to a situation. There are things you won't allow to go on for a moment in your life or in your body. All right. Now, with this, all that's been said up to this moment and all the messages we've, we've delivered in this series brings us to this point. So we're not going to forget everything we just read, right, and everything we've just gone over. Now, finally, let's get into some examples of scriptures that have been misunderstood or taken out of context. All right? I didn't want to jump right into them because I wanted to lay a really strong, <laughs> deep foundation so that we can understand these things. All right? Here's a doozy. Here's a good one. Because it's not uncommon for someone to pull a scripture or a portion of scripture out of context in order to justify their life experience, what they've been through, or to justify their beliefs. It happens quite a bit. And guess what? We're not people who base our beliefs on what we've been through. Our beliefs are based on Jesus. And guaranteed, you've been through something in your life that wasn't God's will. Guaranteed, at some point. <laughs> we all have, right? But we, we, we see things clearly now, okay? We don't attribute things to God that didn't come from Him. All right. So if we keep things in context and we interpret the Scriptures through the character and nature of Christ, we understand them properly. Now remember, the Bible is full of people. Jesus was the only perfect one in there, right? But these people, and Jesus even uses figures of speech. He uses metaphors. Why? That's what we do. It's a fun thing. We say things that don't really literally mean that, like, you know, that person... Oh, what's, a, what's a figure of speech? Someone give me one. What's, uh, raining cat and dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Brady's a goat, right? He's not really a goat, right? It's an acronym. He's the greatest of all time. Is what, well, that's, anyway, yeah, metaphor, right? Or it's raining cats and dogs, right? That, now, so what people do, they get weird with the Bible. So Jesus is using the figure of speech, and all of a sudden they take it literally. You know, he said, you know, cut off your hand. If, you, if, you're, if your right eye caused you to see your left, you cut it off. I haven't seen one person do that. Why? Because he wasn't being literal, right? So don't turn Jesus into a hard metal robot. He's very fun. He uses figures of speech. He talks in creative ways. He's creative. He's the artist of artists, right? So Matthew chapter 5 uh, let's see, verse 45. Here's a great one. This little phrase has been taken to justify the wrong belief that God causes or allows bad things to happen. 
And it's this phrase right here. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. See? He causes these things to happen. Doesn't matter. He makes his son rise on the evil. I've heard that so many times. And on the good, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Is that what Jesus was teaching here? Well, you wouldn't know if you just read these words. You have to know Jesus. You have to know the heart of the one who wrote it and said it if you're going to understand what they said, right? So how do we, what does this really mean? Well, let's look at it in context. Let's, sometimes to, to understand the context of something, you have to read sometimes the whole chapter. Sometimes you have to read the whole book. Sometimes you've got to read the whole Bible. I mean, there's a lot of context depending on what you look at. But for this one, let's just go back a couple verses. All right, to back to verse 43. So this little phrase is commonly used to justify the belief that God's the one who causes or allows bad things to happen. All right? Let's look what Jesus said. Verse 43 now. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what he's talking about. Where is that from that Jesus is quoting there? You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You may know where that's from. Guess someone said Deuteronomy. Anyone else want to take a guess? Is that from the Old Testament? Anybody know? No. It was said, but it was not written by God. Half of it is, you shall love your neighbor is Leviticus, I think, 1918. That's what it says. You shall love your neighbor. The other half was inferred by the religious folks. You won't find that written anywhere in the Bible. If you go back to Leviticus 19.18, it says you shall love your neighbor, but not hate your enemy. It doesn't say anything about hating your enemy. But what religious people did, they took you shall love your neighbor and think, well, okay, we love our neighbor. We must hate our enemy then. God never said that. People do that with God. They only make inferences. All right? So he said, you've heard it was said. What have you heard was said about God? So he's exposing something that was commonly believed. It was a widespread belief among God's people. They should love their neighbor and hate their enemy. But God never taught them that. That's a big deal, isn't it? That changes the way you live. You're going to love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Wow, who's your enemy? I don't want to be your enemy, right? So this is what Jesus is addressing. He's addressing this false statement, this false belief that's been uh, promoted by religious teaching, religious tradition. It's an inference that the Jews draw it upon from, from Old Testament Scripture that was never actually written there. All right? So let's keep reading here. Let's see. Well, real quick, let's say, uh, look at Mark 7, 13. We'll come right back to this. Put that up there. He, Jesus talked about making the Word of God of no effect through your tradition. And we can do that in our lives. In other words, you're believing something that God never taught, and it makes the real truth of no effect in your life. Okay? So that's what they were doing. Okay? They, they were taking the love your neighbor as yourself and adding something to it, and it was kind of confusing the whole works. All right? So let's go to verse 44 of Matthew 5 now. How are we doing? Everybody with me? We're almost done. We're almost done. But I say to you, love your enemies. Woo, is that a doozy? Huh? Now, who says that to them? Jesus, the sovereign God, right? So the sovereign God is saying something different than what's been said by religious leaders. 
happens quite a bit. Something they've been believing for generations. And here the sovereign God comes and says, no, this is what I want you to do. Love your enemies. In fact, I want you to bless those who curse you. I want you to do good to those who hate you. I want you to pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Not not tear them apart on Facebook. Hello. I want you to bless them. That includes social media, doesn't it? Didn't he say Facebook in there? Let's see. Is it in there? Oh, I guess it's not in there. It doesn't matter. So, no, we're going to infer. We're going to make an inference from this statement that that includes social media, okay? Why? Because those are the words coming out from our heart, whether it's on, a, you know, on an app or, or whether it's in person. It's coming from our heart, right? So I say to you, do these things. Look at verse 45. Why, Jesus? Why, sovereign God? Verse 45, so, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Why? For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God treats people fairly. God doesn't treat people on how, based on how many right or wrong things they've done. He's talking about loving your enemy. That's what he's talking about here. Nothing with, about sickness. Nothing about storms. All right, verse 46. For if you love those who love you. See, we're not talking about weather conditions. We're talking about love. You with me? Okay. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Man, that's good. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, you shall behave the way your Father behaves. That's what Jesus is teaching. You see how you can miss that whole thing? You just grab one little phrase and say, God causes all bad things to happen. (laughs) What? Where would you get that from? Not from Jesus even though technically those words did come from him, but it was out of context, all right? Oh, boy, we're out of time. I want to get another one, but we, we will do this. Uh, we're going to get into some good ones like Paul's thorn next week. I think we'll hit that one. Uh, and there's, there's a number of them. Um, but this is what we do. We go through these wrong beliefs, and we, we, we filter them. We put them to the test. Does this match the ministry of Christ? If it doesn't, then we know we've misunderstood it, all right? Hallelujah. Was that good? I enjoyed it. All right. It's good. Yeah. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we love you. Teach us. We don't want our image to be distorted or or smudgy or blurry of you. Father, clear up our image of you. Lord, help us to see you clearly, to know that you are good. 100%. 100, right? How do you say that? Uh, 100. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, you're 100% good, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We worship you. And Lord, I pray for, for everyone here. Holy Spirit, strengthen and encourage. Bless this morning. I bless everyone here in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to, to quicken, strengthen, empower this morning. Lord, that, that we would go through this week with a newfound understanding of your goodness, with a clearer image of who you are, that we would rebuke the things that you rebuke, that we do the things that you did, that we'd love others as you love us, not as they love us. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow 
in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.